Hello, my dear colleagues. Thanks for coming back for another episode of Nailing the MCCQE. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about traumatology into the emergency medicine. My favorite topic so far, and... If you guys are looking something additional to complement your studies with this podcast, and I hope you guys, first of all, had the book so you can make some reviews about what I'm, what I'm saying. And also, I'm putting into the description of this podcast the link that's going to take you to my flashcards. And uh, flashcards I've been making for a while about uh, the Toronto Notes book and, and it itself is a preparation for the MCCQE. So far for emergency medicine, we have a total of, I'll tell you, you want to know how many? It's 17 decks and... 273 cards so that's all the knowledge you get from it and uh, guys take a look into my profile in this platform that is called Brainscape because I've been making all these flashcards you can check out I already did the whole um, capture of dermatology is some flashcards there so if you guys already Take a look to dermatology and you want to test your knowledge. Check out my brainscape. Check the link. All right, let's get into it. A sound effect in case you guys were falling asleep. So, um, okay, we first should take a look about the epidemiology. That is the first thing that is mentioned in the in the book and in this part uh, I'm not gonna be making you guys questions cause um, yeah we, we, we usually don't get so questioned about epidemiology this like very hardly we um, the knowledge we should have for, for it is just it's just it's just to guide us to start defining a diagnosis um, for those who are, um, don't have 2021, I'll tell you that I noticed that they added just a single line to the first uh, part of this. Um, and this line says that 1.7 million people sustain a TBI, what stands for traumatic brain injury. So 1.7 million people sustain a TBI annually in the United States, resulting in five in 52,000 deaths, 275,000 hospitalizations, and 1.365 million ED visits. 
ED, in this case, stands for Emergency Department. And this data is from 2010. So 10 years to build up that data. And that's what's, what's happening annually. So this is the importance of mastering the traumatology section. And, and also, um, I'll try to take a look into this. And my self-reflection is to try to prevent this. Because once you you get into a into a traumatic injury, it's kind of hard to get rid of it as a patient and for doctors for us like a doctors like doctors it's hard for us to 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 make you survive. It's at a huge mortality rate, huge case uh huge um, huge and an increasing amount of of deaths. Well, yeah. So, guys, um, try to wear a helmet if you guys are biking, and be good drivers if you drive. I'm not driving now. I used to drive a lot before, and well, yeah. I wish I w- I will have been a, a more careful driver. Now I have to take care of myself, of, of course, as as a biker and a skateboarder, commuter. All right. Um, leading cause of death in patients less than 45 years, guess what it is? It's the trauma, the TBI. And, well, yeah, check this out, guys, because they don't specify what's the cause of the of the of this death. But I should suppose that this is about trauma, trauma in general. So the same with this, with the next point that is here that mentions that this is the fourth highest cause of death in North America. So this kind of ways to die. That's that's why I'm so so concerned and I'm looking forward to prevent them because yeah guys so if you survive uh, after you're forty five years old and that you're good to now you go to prevent some cancer or cardiovascular disease but if and what what is keeping you away from getting to forty five years old is to not to prevent to have a trauma, and most of these traumas, as as I'm mentioning, um, they are related to to transit, yeah. So, um, car accidents, pedestrian car accidents, and and we will go more into details of what kind of um accidents we we will see that bring us the patients this causes more deaths in children adolescents than all disease combined it's tragical guys the way this impacts in our um day to day so i i i always wanted to to be an emergency physician an emergency medicine doctor, but 
seeing children and adolescents and die because of this is kind of traumatic for me. And I don't know if I will have the strength to face that. All right. So now there is a concept that is um, is called trimodal distribution of death. Or better said, trimodal. So three modes of dying. This can occur in minutes. Uh, a death that usually happens at the scene from little injuries. Then the second mode will be early. This death that happens within four to six hours. That's what they call what they call the golden hour. In which there is a decreased mortality with trauma care. This is when we the physicians come to save lives. And then after we have done everything possible for us, comes the third way to die into a trauma. This will be days to weeks. This death from multiple organ dysfunction. Or can be also caused by sepsis, VTI, etc. Okay, now we also have to consider that injuries fall into two categories. Very easy, and most of us saw this in med school blunt injuries and penetrating injuries. Blunt injuries used to be the most common. They can be seen in MVC, that stands for Motor Vehicle Collision, Pedestrian Automobile Impact, Motorcycle Collision, Fall, Assault, and Sport. Penetrating Injuries are increasing in incidence. So remember that blunt are the most common ones because what we just said happens more than what we're gonna say now. The penetrating, they are increasing in this incidence because we can guess that these uh, violent um, things are happening more and more frequently, unfortunately. Like gunshot wound, stabbing, and impalement. Am I saying that right? Let's check it. Mm -hmm. Impalement. 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 Where? So, so. All right, something to remember. One pearl that is in the... In a side note here, says always completely expose and count the number of wounds. Alright, so let's get into the considerations for traumatic injury. Important to know the mechanism of injury to anticipate traumatic injuries. Only by asking 
how the accident happened, we can now have a good idea about what kind of uh, development is gonna be seen in in the in the patient. Whereas if uh, it was uh, falling, it was in a collision. All right. Always look for an underlying underlying cause. Alcohol. 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 We live with it. We sleep with the enemy. It's always around us. Around us. It's legal. And there's no limit to consume it. And people use it and go to drive. They fall asleep and that's a big mess. Falling asleep while driving. All right. Medications can also be another underlying cause. We also see... um. Scissors, suicide attempt, medical problem, or illicit substance. Substance. Illicit. Illicit substance. All right. Always inquire about HI. When they say HI, they mean head injury. Head injury. Loss of consciousness, amnesia, vomiting. Also ask and um, inquire about headache and seizure activity. There is a, a nice um, box we have here down. A cool square that compares um, the mechanisms and considerations of traumatic injuries. However, it's good to remember first uh, about the cardiac bots. And what they mean with cardiac bots is the sternal notch, nipples, and xiphoid process. So this is the, the superficial way we can see the, 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 the heart from only from the skin, from the surface of the patient. Check out these points that are gonna be making kind of a triangle. Sternal locks, sternal lock, nipples, and siphon process. Triangle, or let's call it yeah, um, kind of a square. So, what's the importance of it? Injuries inside this area should increase suspicious, suspicion of cardiac injury. Too many times, uh, cardiac injury is happening, it's not suspected, and leads to death. At least you guys already know how to do a, a fast ultrasound that we just taught in the lesson before. And I hope you remember what's the area we check out to see if there's pericardial diffusion. You guys remember it? Subsiphal pericardial window. I forgot it. I had to um, bring the page back. But whatever, we're here to learn. All right. Um, 
okay, let's go with the with the nice square. <clears throat> About the mechanisms and consideration of traumatic injuries. When the mechanism of injury is a motor very vehicle collision, special considerations we should have. Um, consider the the vehicles involved. And the weight, size, speed, damage. You can ask, um, what car were you, where, were this person driving? Was this person driving when he had the accident? How was the weight, the size, the speed, and the damage? How fast he was driving? Um, was he the in the car that was parked? Uh, was uh, driving slow? All the details you can get from from the crime scene will work for you to to give a, a better a better result, a better performance of your prognosis and all that. Location of the patient in the vehicle. Was he sitting as a driver? Then on a back seat? Use and type of seat belt. Yeah. I remember that some injuries could be happen just after having the seat belt on a on a car accident and while the person was and in this situation, the injury occurred on the on the bladder. Was the person ejected from the vehicle? Was there an entrapment of patient under the vehicle? Was there an airbag deployment? Did he use helmet? In motorcycle collision. Okay. And what kind of associated injuries we can see? Considering we're talking about a model vehicle uh, collision. If it's a if we're seeing a head-on collision, that means that the car crash from its front side we're gonna be waiting for head or facial thoracic check out the uh, check out the aortic lesions that could be developed and into the lower extremities is where where we the, all the areas we can find lesions what if the accident happened in a lateral way, or what is called T-bone collision. Check out the head, the C-spine, thoracic, abdominal, pelvic, and lower extremities. What if it's a rare end collision? Pronunciation check. Rear. Rear and collision. 
we'll see uh, that probably occur an hyperextension of the C-spine, what we call a whiplash injury. Whiplash, yes, sir. We call that in Spanish latigazo. Rollover. Uh, a rollover, all of the above may be associated injuries. So, if a car's rollover, that's kind of the worst thing can happen. So you can suspect the mm, the deletion is everywhere. I would say mostly on the uh, on the school we can be person for for fractures, but um, I'm just guessing. I don't have the evidence on my hand, but maybe it's a good guessing, an obvious one, also. What if I have, it's a pedestrian automobile impact? Well, very, very bad luck. And myself, I will try to tomorrow not to jaywalk because I do it very frequently. And I know it's way risky. <laughs> Despite it can save you some minutes, but not save your life. Because pedestrian automobile impact has a high morbidity and mortality. Vehicle speed obviously is an important factor and the site of impact of car. Uh, the associated injuries we're going to be looking for into a pedestrian automobile impact will be, for example, in children, that they are at increased risk of being run over occurring multi-system injuries. So, I used to believe before reading this and also with the help of a, of a, of a show, of a TV show, I just understood how this is, how is this mechanism occurs. Turns out that children used to be rolled over, run over. So I have always been scared of being run over. I believe that if a car hits me, I'm literally going to be below it. Like in the it tires going to go over myself. But there's not that no, it's not, it doesn't happen that way that frequently. It's not frequent that that happens. Because children are the one that, because of their weight and their proportions, their size, turn to be run over. And that leads to multi-system injuries. Whereas adults, like me, if I can be deemed an adult, tend to be struck in lower legs. course we will find lower extremity injuries when we are impacted against car we can also find truncal injuries and thrown to ground 
prone to ground with at the same time who can cause us a head injury. So I also, uh, what, the, what the thing I saw to be was simulation of a crime in which um, a woman was rollover, sorry, a woman was hit by a car and while she was standing next to the corp, but in inside, a, I mean, she was walking the road and in this simulation, the ba the body that made the role of the of this girl literally went kind of flying, and like this is saying, it hit its lower extremities, and afterwards, um, maybe because of the, I would call it. Inner C. Inner C. No, hold on. Inner C. Inner C. Uh, the upper part of her body stay where it is, and the car bumps it to go up, and that's why it flies. Or at least <laughs> you can you can believe it's flying, and it's thrown to ground causing the head injury and that's how this girl died um important consideration here a side note um is that vehicle versus pedestrian crash in adults look for triad of injuries this is called waddle's triad on the waddle's triad you can find tibia, fibula, or femur fracture, truncal injury, and craniofacial injury. All right, so this is a triad. This is not someone that has been beaten uh, with a baseball bat in these three areas. Could be, a, could be a coincidence, but check this out. So this person is, uh, follow the mechanism that we just said. First hit on their lower extremities. They, the trunk is kind of bumped by the upper part of a car. And the head is hit as the final phase of, the, of this process of flying after being a while um bombed by the car by the car another side note here is that high risk injuries we can see in a motor vehicle collision at high speed resulting in ejection from vehicle of course um if you're not wearing your seat belt also, motorcycle collisions are, are um, at high risk. Not wearing the seatbelt puts you in high risk. Vehicle versus pedestrian crashes, of course. Pedestrians, what a bad luck. Bad luck for me, I'm a pedestrian daily too. 
and fall from height. Just for falling um, above the 3.6 meters or more than 12 feet. That puts you in more risk. But we're gonna go now with more details about height and mortality case rate. Because falls is also in this very good square about mechanism and consideration of traumatic injuries. Talking about, talking about falls, so if you fall from one story, we will consider them one story. Story. If you are falling from one story, that the, that's the equivalent to 12 feet or 3.6 meters. Uh-huh. But, uh, so here's the, the statistics. The distance of fall. If you fall from a, for, uh, at four stories, the risk of mortality of, is a 50%. And if you fall above that at seven stories, risk of dying is of 95%. Another special consideration about the, the, the mechanism is the landing position. Because patient can fall vertically or horizontally. If they fall vertically, two ways of lessons we can find. And of course, two poles, it's polarized, can be lower extremity, pelvic, and spine fractures. But the other pole will be the head injury. We don't want to see that one into the vertical falls because a vertical fall that has got head injury well but uh, that seemed to be the most fatal one anyway head is gonna be hurt because head is mm, the density and um, especially in children the head and its proportion to the body It's a big thing. That was the falling sound effect. And now the horizontal. It's a, we will see more risk and associated injuries to facial upper extremity and rib fractures. Also, abdominal, thoracic, and head injury. Pretty much the same, but everything, everything in the body can be hurt, and especially upper extremity. Uh, in difference to the to the vertical, which mentions the lower extremity. All right, guys. So. Now it's time to go with the um, jewelry. 
bicycle. Mm, I'll tell you, because it's a good name, I have for it. To the crown jewel, it's the head injury, the head trauma. So, 60% of motor vehicle related deaths are due to head injury. And so, uh huh. We're going to find specific injuries here. And the first of them are fractures. Fractures. It's kind of um, um, a standard section where in which we're going to divide it in skull fractures and facial fractures to make it easier. All right. So how to diagnose this? With a non-contrast head CT. And a physical exam. Yeah, it's very easy to identify a head um, a fracture. So, I remember we mentioned in the first episode of emergency medicine that the non-contrast head CT is kind of the gold standard for the emergency room because it's all we need. All right, um, skull fractures is the first section of it and can also be divided in vault fractures. Vault stands for the Spanish word um, boveda or cupula. So, and uh, further than the vault fractures, we can also find, find the basalt skull fractures. So... Now you can guess that vault is totally the opposite and is the upper part of the skull. And it's easier to um, to make examination for it. Vault fractures can be linear, linear, non-depressed. Or the second form can be seen as depressed. The linear and non-depressed Fortunately, are the most common. Of course, we, ha we are happy to know that because we don't want to see heads open every time. So, typically occur over the temporal bone in area of middle meningeal artery. Commonest cause of Epidural hematoma, hematoma. So, yeah. Hopefully, the most common thing we're gonna see is just a line that it doesn't depress the school. We're gonna see the it's all clear, all sustained, and it's right beside the the patient's head in the temporal bone. And what's gonna be associated that with you know what can what this patient can have an epidural hematoma 
and due to uh, due to the disruption of the middle meningeal artery. You see, mm-hmm. depressed. How will be a wall fracture that is depressed? These guys can be open or closed. An open, oh, I saw an open one. And, well, yeah, I saw the brains of this kid. Uh, kind of shocking. Yeah, um, the open are associated with overlying scalp laceration and turn dura. Skull fracture, disrupting perinasal sinuses or middle ear. Hold on, cowboy, this is tons of information. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's gonna take me a while to process that. <laughs> or it can be just close. That is what we want to see. Okay, what about the basal skull fractures? Basal skull fractures. Typically, the basal skull fractures, I can't stop thinking about raccoon eyes. We're going to talk about that soon. Typically occur through floor of anterior cranial fossa. Which is the longitudinal are more common than transverse. Generally, um, a clinical diagnosis can be done because this is poorly visualized on the CT scan. And I want to make a cue review about the anterior cranial fossa. All right, there you go. Then the easy way to remember this is that this is the part of the school of them that is um, right on top of the orbits and um, it also contains a part of the asphenoid bone and edmoid and frontal. You said yes, guys. So, um, I hope you remember it. Is the is this draw? Um, we saw a lot from anatomy, in which we saw the holes of the brain. We saw it from the upper part, and we can see them. The the division in three sections, in which the the last one and um, that is um. And more posterior um, used to have um, the cerebellum and the middle part of the of these um, fossas the middle cranial fossa contained um, uh, the cella turcia Turkish, whoa, kind of weird name. We just call it Turkish chair in Spanish. <laughs> Where is that? But anyway, remember the anterior cranial fossa 
is where is the most common part to see to find uh, a basal skull fractures, and that's the reason. And fin finally, in my life, I'm getting to this point that I understand why the why the raccoon eyes um occur, and it's because yeah the because it's right on top of the of the orbit where um where the where the blood is coming out from a longitudinal or a transverse injury a fracture all right um and that all that blood comes out and accumulates in the orbit so and also you can see the battle signed or raccoon eyes is the last point that is mentioned here so the battle sign is explained in a side note on the book and it says that battle science is bruised mastoid process so remember the master process right behind your ears and in that part of the of the head we're gonna find uh, uh there is bruised there is all looking purple same can happen with the tympanum because it can um change its color to a hemotympanum and how does it look like can look purple, red, very, very red. I guess that can occur in an acute phase. And, oh well, yeah. That's a hemotympanum. Recognized is the periorbital bruising and the CSF. CSF, um, what stands for um, craniospinal fluid, cerebrospinal fluid, sorry, that comes out in a form of rhinorrhea or odorrhea. So four signs, I would say five because this CSF cam comes from from their ears and aim and, and nose. That counts double. We will see the battles, the hemotympanum, recognize CSF rhinorrhea or ultrarea. Now, uh, facial, fra oh, I remember I saw a raccoon uh, eyes in during my internship in the hospital back home was very impressive and yeah I remember that very clearly fortunately that patient died very sad guys it's interesting to know but sad to see how mm, these things are life taking all right, facial fractures. 
the one we don't have we don't want to have the one I'm scared of because I skateboard and I don't want to break my nose so facial fractures we can read more about this in plastic surgery but um also we can think about that they come along with neuronal injury of course guys um that calls um what I can recall is the facial nerve and the and 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 trigeminal the trigeminal nerve yeah trigeminal nerve can be um i i just i'm just guessing that can be affected in this situation be aware of open fracture or sinus fractures they have risk of infection yeah, because all that um, fluids and, yes, sir, take care of the sinuses. Severe facial fractures may pose risk to airway from profuse bleeding. Remember we talk about facial fractures and while talking about breathing, airway, letter A, letter B intubation, etc. So also to consider the scalp laceration. So scalp can be a source of significant bleeding, the very famous scalp. What we will have to do is to achieve hemostasis, inspect and palpate for skull bone defects. Plus, or optional, you can do a CT head. CT of the head to rule out skull fracture. Yeah, why not? Get that thing done. So, neurogenal, neural injury can happen in the context of a head trauma. And it can be diffuse or with focal injuries. How can it be diffused? It can happen mild and how? Mild TBI. Mild TBI stands for traumatic brain injury. And at mild TBI, it's dim at the same time as a concussion. And so. A mild TBI is a transient, 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 transient. So it's a transient alteration in mental status that may involve loss of conditions. I had one once, and though it was terrible. I woke up unconscious and, uh, well, yeah, the hallmarks of concussion are confusion and amnesia.
which may occur immediately after the trauma or minutes later. Also, you can have loss of consciousness, and if it's present, must be less than 30 minutes. The initial Glasgow Coma scale must be between 13 and 15. And post-traumatic amnesia must be less than 24 hours. But why must be, right? Isn't it a, a good question? Because... Because this is the borderline to define that this is not milled. If it's longer, we're going to talk about a mild traumatic brain injury or a moderate or a, or a severe. severe. So um, after we consider the mild TBI, which is a concussion, we can now go with a diffuse actional injury in which um, we can consider that we have a male diffuse actional injury when um, there is a coma that lasts within 6 to 24 hours and possibly there is a lasting deficit. Uh, I saw an amnesia after a, a, a car accident so this guy was in the trauma shock um, area of the emergency department. So unfortunately, um, he couldn't remain too much. He remember he he knew he had an accident, but he couldn't form new memories because he asked. Um, he asked the same every time. He asked. Uh, oh yeah. Also, he had his wife beside him. The wife survived. Um, the children were sent to the pediat pediatric um, center, and he asked for her wife, and he finds out the wife is beside. When he finds her, he asks her about the kids. And every 10 minutes, he asked the same, where's my wife? Oh, here you are. And afterwards, he asked, where are the kids? Are the kids good? And then 10 minutes later, he asked the same. So, could be something um, with an organic base or, or maybe post-traumatic shock. But well, yeah, you should uh, consider the the physical um, injury that can that causes the amnesia. Okay, so a moderate diffuse actional injury can be seen when there's a coma that la lasts more than lasts longer than twenty four hours in which there is little or no sign of brainstem dysfunction. We are seen as severe diffused actional injury when a coma lasts more than 24 hours 
and frequent signs of brain stem dysfunction. Like this patient is not breathing well, this patient has got uh, arrhythmias, um, so the, the brain stem is not working very well. We can consider, consider that this is a severe diffuse actual injury. And what about the focal injuries? We can see contusions or intracranial hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. So, um, an intracranial hemorrhage can be epidural, epidural sudural, or intracerebral. All right, how do we assess, how do we make the assessment of a, of brain injury? First, don't fall asleep, guys. First, we do the history. And we ask about how was the pre-hospital status and the mechanism of injury. It's all we have to ask so far in this emergency situation. Um, in the um, physical exam, guess we are gonna assume what always. Assume that there's, there's a C-spine injury on children rule out. We just say that, right? Remember, first episode of the podcast. Vital signs. Vital signs can be shock, all right, and well, we can see shock, but uh, not likely due to isolated brain injury except in infants. So, caution's response to increasing ICP, so guys, remember we saw the cushion sign before, so every time it's easier to study this because we are mentioning things that we say before. And the cushion signs, you guys got it? You know it? I'm going to see it out once again. Contains bradycardia, hypertension, and irregular respirations. Don't confuse with the cushion syndrome. Totally different thing. Severity of injury uh, can be determined by level of consciousness. There is, of course, deemed by Glasgow Common Scale. So, um, if we see that we have a Glasgow Common Scale that is less than 8, you guys should very intubate the patient. And if any change in score of 3 or more, this is a serious injury. So, all right, uh, a mild traumatic brain injury is considered when the Glasgow scale is from 13 to 15, a moderate TBI is from 9 to 12. Um, three to eight. So I'm gonna make an exercise, exercise for you guys to remember it. 
So if I say 13 to 15, you guys think this is what kind of TBI? Milled. If I say 9 to 12, what kind of TBI is this? Moderate. And obviously, if I say from 3 to 8, this is severe. Severe. What am I saying? So, obviously, it's severe. Severe. So, okay, um, now I want you to remember, if I sell mil TBI, what numbers comes to your mind? 13 to 15. If it's moderate, what numbers do you think? Moderate TBI. 9 to 12. Severe TBI. 3 to 8. So now, pupils. Look at the pupils, guys. How big they are. Is there an isochoria for more than one millimeter? In a patient with altered old um, level of consciousness, how what's how's the response to light? And are there any lateralizing signs? Motor or sensory. So this may become subtler with increasing severity of injury. And reassess frequently. Reassess frequently, sorry. You should reassess this frequently. So I'll say that works for everything we just say. Vital, vital signs and level of consciousness. You should reassess, reassess everything with some frequency. Investigations. What kind of investigations we're gonna be doing? So, and uh, labs. Please ask for the labs. The process of the people, the CBC. And not talking about the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I'm just talking about the um, count of blood cells, electrolytes, INR, PDD, PDT, glucose. Toxicology screen. Oh, please, uh, can you have? Uh, can I have a CT scan head and neck? Will you use contrast for this? No, we don't need it. So mm, you order this CT, this tomography to exclude intracranial hemorrhage or hematoma, hematoma, and of course a C-spine imaging. Management. How do we manage? And for I believe we, this is we have we have gone far and all to um with this episode, right? We don't want to make it so so long that you guys can are gonna start hate, start hating me. So um, before we go to the management of the. 
uh, of the brain of the head injury, I want you guys to be aware of the warning signs of severe head injury. So the Glasgow Common Scale can be less than eight. No, not can be, but if it's less than eight, you guys check that out. Deteriorating Glasgow Common Scale, unequal pupils, lateralizing signs. Yes, please check that out. So, how do we manage it? Our goal in the emergency department is to reduce secondary injury, avoiding hypoxia, ischemia, decrease CPP, seizure, and seizures. We don't want to have the patient with seizures. General. In general, the way we do the management of the head injury is with the ABCs. What a surprise. ABCs everywhere around there in this um, chapter of the book. Ensure oxygen delivery to brain through intubation and prevent hypercarbia. What patients are you uh, intubating with a head injury? With a head trauma. You remember? Do you remember? Would you say that? Will you remember? And I don't see it here, but I'm pretty sure it's less than eight. Come on, man, I just say this. And yeah, it's less or equal than eight. You intubate. All right, prevent hypercarbia. Maintain BP blood pressure with a goal of systolic blood pressure um, of more than 90%. 90, I mean 90, 90 millimeters of mercury. And treat other injuries too. All right. An early neurosurgical consultation for acute and subsequent patient management. Also, you can do seizure treatment or prophylaxis. What are your favorite friends to call when you want to prevent a seizure? Benzodiazepines, phenytoin, phenobarbital, steroids, are of no problem value. Yeah, some people, uh, it's been, oh, uh, this is uh, something they always want us to, to have mistake in the test when they ask about asteroids and, and head injury in general. I remember when, uh, with questions about ictus so strokes some strokes um um they ask you about asteroids and um, asteroids don't work very well with, with some of these situations and this is one of these cases the head injury and um, when we are talking about preventing seizure 
So also treat the suspected race ICP. Yeah, we already and uh, talk about ICP and uh, warning signs. And it was before the ethical ethical considerations. It, it was in the secondary survey and the yeah the and uh, CPR episode. So. So treat the ICP, consider if head injury with signs of increased ICP. And how will you treat the ICP? Intubate. You can call the patient with sedatives if risks of risk of high airway pressures or agitation. You can paralyze if he's agitated. He will understand later it's for its own wealth, for his for his will. And hyperventilate one hundred percent oxygen to a PCO, a PCO of thirty to thirty-five millimeters of um HG. Elevated head of bed to twenty degrees. Adequate BP to ensure blood and ensure good cerebral perfusion. And last but not least, and eh, not less important, we need diuresis with manitol. Manitol, one gram per kilogram infused rapidly. And these, who can you, who wouldn't you do this treatment to? Who is contraindicated to to uh, to give manitol to someone that is in shock or renal failure because you don't want to have the arrests in these cases. You don't want the the kidney to work, and you don't want the the blood stream to lose um to lose um liters by peeing you don't want to be have the patient peeing so uh disposition what do they mean with disposition disposition is the last section in this um this area of head injury and why what they mean with this is that Neurosurgical ICU admission for severe head injury. In hemodynamically unstable patient with other injuries, prioritize most life-threatening injuries and maintain cerebral perfusion. And for a minor head injury that is not requiring admission, provide a 24-hour head injury protocol to competent caregiver follow up with neurology as even seemingly minor head injury may cause lasting deficits and well yeah guys I believe we have done enough this time what do you think are we doing it well do you have any suggestions you guys can write me an email to mccqepodcast at gmail.com. 
I write it down in the description of the podcast in case you wanna reach out, have some feedback, and make any suggestions about what we should be talking about here. You guys have a Cuban that we want to share? Oh yeah, it will be great to share it um in uh, this podcast. I'll be making questions for them more. Don't forget to check out my um uh, my flashcards. Um they are they are totally free and they are in a free platform too that is called Brainscape. So well yeah guys, thanks for what for watching not places not YouTube, this is Spotify and other listening platforms. Thanks for listening. Love you guys and keep nailing that test. <laughs>